Hey, I'm Brian Fenley, tennis commentator on the USTA Pro Circuit and Tennis Channel. You are listening to the Payers and Players podcast. Go check out this episode with David Nakin. So welcome to episode 81 of the Payers and Players podcast. We've got a special guest today, David Nankin. He is the USTA National Lead Men's Coach. He played at UCLA number one for the Bruins. Got to 132 in the ATP ranking. Um, and he's coached on the tour Wayne Ferreira, Sam Query, Marty Fish, Taylor Fritz, as well as being the U.S. Olympics coach and the interim Davis Cup captain. So if I miss anything, I'm sure we'll pick it up in the in, throughout the podcast. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Scott. Yes. Right. No. Great. So I um, want to get into your coaching career. So after you got done playing, how did you end up coaching players and then ended up at uh, your position at the USDA? That's a great question. So I started coaching due to an injury, actually. I, I had uh, blown out my right elbow, and uh, this is 99, and just purely out of having so many friends uh, on the South Af- on the world tour that are South Africans, I just said, well, let me try and help you out for a week, and I'll travel with you and give you a set of eyes, and and started to really enjoy it. The, you know, one of the players was, uh, he eventually played for Zimbabwe, Kevin Elliott, who he had some success with winning, winning some double slams and Pete Norville. They're good friends of mine, but that's where I actually started my coaching and, and just continued with that. Yeah, and so you end up with Wayne Ferreira from South yeah, Africa. Yeah, that was a little later on, but okay. I think my first real real job was with American Justin Gimmelstop. Okay. That was in yeah. the year 2000, and just with the fact that me try, going back to UCLA, trying to finish my degree and him living in LA. I did that for about 18 months. Okay, good, good, good. And then, so how did you transition throughout the pros, maybe coaching individually, into the USTA role? Well, uh, once again, I was back in LA and they opened up the USTA Training Center West out at Carson in 2004. Uh So it happened to be at the right time, the right place, and they're looking to hire coaches. and, And at the time, Rodney Harmon, head of men's tennis, they, you know, called me up. You're interested in working for the USDA. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was in for. I'd, yeah. I'd known previous, you know, great national coaches yeah. and admired their role right. and responsibility, and it's something I want to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And do you think that the USDA was looking to bring in, um, you know, foreign perspectives? Because I know that you know for some of our foreign previous guests, Andy Brandy, Diego Moyano, were both, you know foreign players, but then they became USDA top coaches, oh, well, as well as you know Jose yeah. Higueras. Was that intentional or just the way it went? No, I think it's the way it lay. I mean, look, tennis is a global sport. Right. So a lot right. of you know international, global uh, people with a lot of great knowledge. And, right. and the goal for the USDA is to hire the best coaches. You know, whether I was South African, they had a couple of other South Africans on staff at one point, Argentinians with Spanish coaches, a lot of American coaches. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's one way to yeah. say we need to go, you know, hire these coaches from different countries. But mm-hmm. it just happened. It's more about uh, expertise and knowledge right, and experience right, right. and what was the right fit at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, like you're right, it is, it's a global game. So I mean, yeah. it, it would be short-sighted to just focus on American coaches or any one particular thing, yeah. but giving perspectives from all over the world. That's right. Um, so. Um, Tell us what does the you know the lead national men's coach? What does that role mean? Responsibilities, etc. Well, the role's pretty. It's a pretty broad spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the title of the lead just means I've been there a long time. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, 
you know, my my main goal is to d develop American players, mm -hmm. and and I would say we start looking at them at a really young age. We have players at at Carson LA. I'm I'm seeing players from the age of 11, 10, okay. 11 years old that are there for camps and yeah. national camps, regional camps. Then through the you know, depending on their situation, where they live, how much we see them. I've traveled to multiple junior events, junior okay. slam events, future events, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and depending on how that works out, it's just to build a relationship with as many American players as I can. And Good. some of the relationships develop more just due to the, the nature of, of, of the circumstance. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the used here might, will look at that and go, is it worth yeah. more time to spend more yeah. with a certain player and, and give that a little bit of a ride but okay. so you're looking at kids from 11 to to, to yeah. stevie johnson out here this week. exactly yeah you okay. know i wouldn't say we put an age we look at development and growth right, right. for the main thing i mean yeah. we all see the longevity of mm -hmm. the way everyone's playing these days i mean they're yeah. back at 36 calls at 26 yeah. i mean <laughs> we were uh, fortunate enough to be in a situation to help Marty Fish when on his comeback when he moved to LA and mm -hmm. he was 27 years old okay. and, and we were a, we as the USTA were a big part of that that uh, kind of comeback yeah. resurgence yeah. and he had, and he got to his highest ranking number seven yeah 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 that's that's pretty so, impressive that was great. Okay. So I mean, currently we are in Lexington for the Lexington Challenger on the campus of the University of Kentucky. One of the things that's been, I've noticed since I started following tennis the last few years, is just the, the growth of the college game into the pros. Six years ago, there were three players from the college game in the top 100. Today, there's 14. So that's, a, that's a, you know, almost a five times rate of growth. You know, three players is maybe not a pathway. 14 probably is. What would you maybe attribute some of that success to? I would attribute the success to the, there are so many great college programs now to right. choose from, great college right. coaches. Uh, yeah, and just to point out, facilities. You know, of, of those 14 players, three are from UCLA, yeah. 11 are from 11 different schools. Yeah. So it's not just like one factory that's doing it, it seems like it's a system-wide. A lot, a lot of great schools, programs, the competition. Um, Look, a lot of other countries are, are seeing the college collegiate system as a pathway for their yep. for their players. Yeah. So, you know, Australia, yeah. England, obviously with Cam yeah. Norrie's success, have, yeah. have, have seen that as as a successful pathway. Yeah. I talked to somebody the other day from from Spain, mm -hmm. and they started to send yeah, players. Okay. A lot of Rodinus players. at Duke, exactly. Right and, so uh, yeah. I've always believed it's a very viable pathway, yeah. even when it wasn't. Right. When, when you had a two right. or three yeah. three players, and yeah. you know, I've had to give advice to yeah. to parents. Yeah. You know, first of all, I believe in education, and, right. and especially being in the U.S. and being part of the culture. It's it's a long road from seventeen to get to mm -hmm. being physically developed to right. compete right. at right. the highest level. Yeah. So, yeah. the collegiate, a lot of the collegiate programs today host challenger tournaments so that is appealing like, like, like for these players you know they yeah. not saying that wild cards are the solution but they certainly go to college with a pro mindset mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and are able to compete yeah. at that level so they're yeah. exposed to international yeah. competition and yeah. for the most part the the top collegiate players are coming out you know, maybe ranked inside 300. Right, I mean, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. You Ethan Quinn this year. Ethan Quinn. I mean, Alex Mickelson, yeah. everyone's talking about now. 
as far as we know, is still going to Georgia in yeah. September yeah. and whether he can take online classes and play yeah. some and yeah. however the, that works out. It, and in addition with the new pathway, right, which is extraordinary for yeah. these guys. How, how did that come, explain that pathway just in case people don't know about it? Correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I understand it is that the, the top 20 players in, on the ITA rankings are mm-hmm. eligible for, uh, I think in the top 10, eight wild cards right. for main draw acceptance. And then maybe from 11 to 20 qualifying, qualifying wild cards. Yes. So when it comes to making a decision mm-hmm. uh, for a player to go to, whether they should go to college or turn pro, yeah. it swings yeah. to their side yeah. if there is doubt. Right. Well. The yeah. decision becomes well. I can end in the top five right. and get straight into challenges. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And you have all the coaching. You have all the facilities. With, and it's it's going to help your game grow. You're going to play with you know great competition yeah. and, and environments. So yeah. So as an American player, yeah. besides winning the NCAA's, yeah. which a, as of now yeah. still, for the most part, gives you a U.S. Open wild card, right. you'll get main draw acceptance into yeah. all the ATP challenges. Right. So that makes it attractive with with the programs. A, a, a big part of, of that pathway is also the financial component. Yes. You know, the, the, the colleges provide a, a big part of the development, which is the strength conditioning mm-hmm. component, full-time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which... Uh, and it also gives the players a base to come back a to. Base, all the players still go back to their base yeah, and yeah. go back and train there and right. the place to live. Right. Usually they, yeah. they love the coaching or the assistant coaches, even a volunteer coach yeah. is involved. Yeah. I mean, we see... Uh, Facundo, that was Nori's assistant, yeah. still out there with him, and, yeah. and yeah. so it's yeah. great to see. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So you brought up Mickelson. Um, interesting, you know, he's about one thirty or so in the rankings. He's going to probably get wild card into the U.S. Open, and he's close to making it on his own ranking. So you know, what would be the advantages of coming? You know, he's going to you know, have the Hall fall to add to that ranking. If he's top one hundred, is is there any reason why he would go to college? Look, everyone's got a different. Um, philosophy, you know, a lot of it is family background, right. personal goals, physical development. Uh, the, from what I know with Alex, he's never been in a rush. He's, yeah. he's you know, we certainly look at his junior pathway, mm-hmm. he's never traveled that much and he's made um, decisions that has suited him and, and, and so far that, that seems to have worked. So whether he does exceptionally well and decides to turn pro, um, yeah, yeah, it's hard for me to say. Right, yeah. yeah. It's a personal decision. Yeah. There's pros and cons with yes. it, but uh, it's hard to you know, say that with We remember John McEnroe yeah. went back to school <laughs> and, and right. was in the, in the top 100 and yeah. off the semifinals. Well, semifinals of Wimbledon I think, still played, yeah. yeah. There's been a couple of examples of guys being... Yeah. Been yeah. at school in the situation yeah. where yeah. they well, could have Diana Schneider, maybe on the women's yeah. side, was yeah. in a similar position to him currently. So, um, you know, you may, you may see him. Who knows? You know, we've had players win the NCAA's and go back. Right. Stevie right. Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And and yeah. and not turn pro right, and right, have right. big contracts right. thrown at them right, and right. decide that they're not ready physically yeah. and yeah. and yeah. stay stayed stayed the years. Yeah. So it's yes, it's a personal decision and you know, yeah. what works for one what might not work for the other. Um, want to switch gears and maybe talk a little bit on a global scale. I know that you've obviously traveled around the world and been to all the highest levels of professional tournaments. I'm curious if you're looking at the different federations. Is there one particular federation that's maybe punching above its weight in terms of the size of the country and the players are generating? And is there anything maybe you've learned from that that you've incorporated into the USTA? Well, we 
I mean, I think it's great that all these uh, countries that own slams mm-hmm. obviously makes money and right. that gets funneled back into development. I think uh, the USTA have done a phenomenal job with with our system. I think other countries have learned from us, mm-hmm. as well as us learning from other countries. Yeah. So, you know, everybody tries to share information and learn right. together and, mm-hmm. and come together. I think there's a common goal that everyone wants the best for tennis. They want great tennis. They want yeah. personalities. And, and certainly there's definitely a, a model where everybody's trying to be better and share information mm-hmm. and work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, just some, some of these countries in Europe are so small. Size, like Switzerland is the size of, you know, Kentucky. Yeah. And they're generally, you know, I'm not going to say Federer because he's, yeah. he's a unicorn and everything yeah. like that. But there's still just several players that are doing really well in college. And the pro level too. So I mean, Switzerland has always sort of stood out to me as like one of these countries that looks looks so so much like a resort country, but they develop great players too. Yeah. So same thing with Italy, and you know they they really do a good job. Yeah. Um, Thoughts on a couple of things that I'm seeing in junior tennis, and whether or not it will maybe translate into the pro game in a later time. We're starting to see a few kids that are experimenting with forehands on both sides, serving left-handed, right-handed. Um, and then their whole game is what? Are, what are your thoughts on that? And how can could that work at a higher level? I haven't. I've heard about it. I haven't seen it in person. I've, I've seen some video of, of a couple of kids. You know, not to say that a forehand is always better than the backhand, right. but maybe right. there's more reach. I mean, right. we all remember Luke Jensen serving yeah. with with both hands, and mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's a much harder skill to acquire to be yeah. able to have to use both both, both different hands. Yeah, I've seen at Lexington here this week players return with two hands and yeah. and then hit with one hand. Aiden Mayo, Aiden yeah. Mayo, yeah. Uh, who we've known for a long time, so he switched to one hander. So he's a two-handed returner, but then goes to a one. So he start he started two-handed and switched to one hander. He was a two-hander until uh, about eleven or twelve, okay. and then he switched to one hander. Mm-hmm. And he always said he was going to return with two, play with one. No one, you know. Yeah. So he's he he does it. Well, yeah. he's in the quarterfinals yeah. yeah, today. Yeah, doing great. he's doing great. Yeah. So, yeah. so you could see a bit of that because yeah. of the power and yeah. these players with one end. Yeah. You know, well, if I can get my left hand yeah. on there, I can yeah. manage, manage the kick serve a little bit. So, right. Right. we're certainly seeing um, a lot. We're seeing a lot more drop shots mm-hmm. than in men's yeah. tennis yeah. due yeah. to players maybe yeah. playing a little further back. Yeah. And we've yeah. seen yesterday. I saw a couple. I saw an underhand serve volley okay. on a big point, which. Did it pay off? Uh, it was a good point, but he it didn't pay off. Okay. Young Dane Dane Sweeney from okay. uh, <laughs> Australia. from Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So you're seeing a bit of everything. I don't know if yeah. these players are watching too much YouTube or something. <laughs> I but, think so. But uh, I, we we grew up. If we had a tweener, I think we were kicked off the practice court. So now everyone runs. <laughs> no, it's back. part of the. Now it's no, part of. It's part of the game. Get yeah. back there and try yeah. and try and hit a forehand. And they can so. be they can turn offense to de- or defense to offense. Yeah. yeah. So you know a few more chip returns. Yeah. You're just seeing a lot of athleticism right. and variety. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, that's sort of a Carlos Alcaraz sort of in a nutshell. Just so much yeah. athleticism and you know, variety. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's fun to watch. I mean, For every, sure. Yeah. You know, everyone talks about well, when the when tennis changed from there being so many contrasting styles, because in the late '80s or mm-hmm. '90s, with serve and volley, and you had the baseline, and it was, and then tennis maybe became a little bit homogenized with mm-hmm. too many baseline yeah. points. Looks the same. And yeah. Wimbledon started looked the same as the French Open, right. and so I think now it's trending towards. Um, being a little more different again with 
players come with Matt because maybe that's the only way they can win points. Right. And right. As we've seen with Carlos Alcaraz yeah. at Wimbledon, yeah. the reason why he's dominating the yeah. men's game, he's able to yeah. he play defense yeah. and turn that into offense yeah. and yeah. volley and serve yeah. and volley yeah. whenever he wants, play deep, play yeah. up on the court, use yeah. the drop shot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that's so, sort of what, and also what so Djokovic did against Medvedev last year is like the only way he could win points was to get to the net. So yeah, so you're going to see a lot more, yeah. I think, versatility in the game, a lot yeah. more variety because that's the way yeah. players are going to be able love to win. To and love to hear that. the young players are probably going to look at Alcaraz and, you know, the certain volley is going to be taught again. And mm -hmm. like, you know, for a while there, it was a bit of a lost conversation right. with, well, no one's right. doing it. Right. right. I'd speak to a, a, a 13, 14 old and tell them, well, you know, we're networking certain volley. They'd never seen it before. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there was a generation of watching tennis where right. they never had a visual of professional player doing it right, so right. they i think that that's could come back a little bit which Hopefully. is going to be exciting to yeah, see yeah really we'll, i think we're all excited to see uh that all right the other thing i want to talk about was we, we talked about a little bit when we talked a few days ago but um sort of the Svida method of not playing tournaments training um hitting a million balls competing locally not traveling for tournaments how does that work and can it be used more broadly than how they've used it and your thoughts on that on that look zach Svider won kalamazoo i think he's 15 16, 16 yeah, uh yeah. just turned 16 and then a couple years later again at, at 18 zach yeah, he missed the COVID year so he may have won it three years he may, may have won it zach didn't play junior tournaments right he stopped playing junior he didn't play for about three 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 years and his dad tom's philosophy was not to play junior to work in his game work in his technique uh is that good? Is that the right method? It's really, you know, f for then it worked for Zach. Um, I do believe, as as well as Zach has developed and has come along, I think he's going to be around 200 in the, in the world now for a youngster, that at a certain age to travel globally is important without, without going... Maturity. Maturity. The exposure to red clay at a young age and to see some different styles of competition to try and get on the junior right. junior wimbledon right. grass courts so uh, his so his floor may be very high but maybe his ceiling is well as high i, I as just say I, i'd say he developed really fast at a young age yeah. but then the growth period with him playing on he be, because of his lack of exposure to play on red clay mm -hmm. this is the first year he went right. and he got hit with COVID for a couple of years where no yeah. one went anywhere uh, so that's why it's probably slowed down again. Yeah. Uh, we do have a lot of players in California. We're fortunate enough in California to have a lot of men's opens mm -hmm. and competition. And, you know, there are a lot, of, a lot of our players that have come through the junior ranks and gone into the pros never played a lot of junior international tournaments until their final year. Right, right. Sam oh. Query, Steve Johnson, Marcus Jerome, just to name and a ben few. Ben Shelton. Um, ben Shelton didn't play, you know, didn't believe in traveling. Right. Brooksby yeah. stayed local. So, yeah. you know, the philosophy of all those guys is to develop, play some junior competition. Mm -hmm. Obviously, financially becomes yeah. way more affordable. You stay, yeah. you're around your developmental yeah. coach for for more years. Yeah. And if you're in a tennis hotbed like Southern California, you you can play yeah. perfect and, and, college pros. And, and all these yeah. players. When they were red, Taylor Fritz was yeah. with one that didn't really leave Southern Cal until 15. Okay, went to Boca for his first camp, and, yeah. and then it's I think didn't so didn't then he traveled quite a bit. I think from yeah. from 16 in on the ITF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But 
my philosophy would be to hang back a little bit, develop. Mm -hmm. There's a maturity component to, yeah. to being a teenager, 13, 14 yeah. years old, and being on the road yeah. and not being home and not being in one place. Yeah. How does that look for your long-term growth right. as a person? So there, there, there's a lot of moving parts to that. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch Tre uh, Zach's younger brother, Trevor, Trevor yeah. who's playing in Kalamazoo this yeah. week, yeah. who's followed a similar pathway. Yeah. But uh, they've played a lot of these, the UTR pro tournaments. Yeah, that makes and, sense. Yeah. And I think uh, Mickelson, at one point, who didn't travel a lot, his match count, talking to one of our national USTA coaches in LA, played him last year in the finals of one of these UTR tournaments. Yeah. And I think Mickelson had played 62 huh. UTR matches wow. up until he won that. Yeah. So. Yeah. He developed a lot yeah. playing these local yeah. men's opens, and yeah. with that system, you play yeah. five matches yeah. a week. And yeah, well, play. I think that that UTR format is certainly a huge innovation and a huge um, force on the scene now. Because you know, like I say, we're, if you're at a futures tournament, you lose. Say you lose in the first round of qualities, you're done for the week. Yeah. In this UTR format, you've got five guaranteed matches, pretty yeah. much. So and there's so, yeah. and Trevor's kind of come yeah. through that a little bit as well. Yeah. But he's got his first ATP points, but he yeah. played a lot of matches. Yeah, to get there yeah. to, in these in these yeah. pro series events, yeah. and and 20 minutes from their house, they're Perfect. playing yeah. pro matches against. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to get through an ex UCLA pro yeah. like yeah. Carousel. Yeah. To, and that's development when yeah. you know you got to be Jerome's coach. Carousel <laughs> wants to try and make you know some yeah. decent money, and yeah. you're 16 years old, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Carousel throwing the, the kitchen yeah, sink yeah, at he's, you. He's got all the experience, right? and yeah. uh, you learn a lot from yeah. experiences for like sure, that. For sure. Um, let's see. Um, one of the other, so what, something else I wanted to ask you about was the use of analytics. Um, you know, what does USTA do in terms of? either charting matches, finding patterns, or how, how would they use analytics and maybe how can parents and juniors also incorporate that into their game? Well, the world's, the whole world's starting to use analytics. Yeah. I mean, across the board, it's becoming more available. Yeah. There's more tools. There's more companies coming out with products. I mean, oh, shit. I think it, well, how about that? The, the, the fast, the, the the really the greatest tools to once you get to play on a Hawkeye court and you, okay. and you have that data to your to you as, as and what data specifically well it, the data from Hawkeye as we'll see at the US Open when mm -hmm. they show the, the screen grabs and mm -hmm. stuff is you know where your ball lands and the speed of the ball the height of the yeah. ball the yeah. spin rate of the yeah. ball yeah. and for the first time when a player sees that kind of information yeah. it's 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 really amazing and then yeah. once you collect a bigger sample yeah. and you can do a comparative analysis yeah. Yeah. between a how hard you hit your second serve return compared yeah. to like a center mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you show somebody well you hit the ball at 63 miles now centers it in spin, it's, yeah. at 75 consistently yeah. over time yeah this is where his returns landing yeah. this is it, yeah. and you have a visual of, yeah. of you know a thousand returns yeah you know that's an incredible tool yeah. Yeah. So, you know, then you have the technical analysis, depends on how yeah. any player's wide, how much you want to want to do that. There's yeah. the strategic side of it. And, yeah. and a lot of the, a lot of college campuses, go back to the college mm -hmm. campuses, have cameras on their courts, play they site, have yeah. play site that, that can track yeah. this. And yeah. so then uh, from a coach's perspective and, and especially an old school school coach like me that ne was never around, <laughs> how much do I use it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I will definitely, 
try and look through as much information yeah. as possible and 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 that's how i learn and gather and sometimes can, can be overwhelming yeah yeah to yeah. get a 25 page document right right you get through and know what what's, and know what's, what's going good on and, what's, and, what's and then more importantly is what how much a player can receive right right and don't give them the whole thing at once because hey let's focus on some some yeah. players want to read it all yeah some players is i might say you know, I, I got this scouting report on you, you playing, uh, you know, Felix Eliasim tomorrow, and I've got, they just sent me yeah. 25 pages <laughs> on, on his last 12 matches yeah. of everything. Yeah. It's all out there. There's yeah. no secrets. So right. that's right. another thing. Right. So th there's no secrets about what information's out there. Yeah. Yeah. So some players will send me the document. I want to read it all. Yeah. And some players will say, I don't want to see anything. <laughs> right, right. Just donate, like, maybe right. you can tell me one thing. Right. Right. They want to. Yeah. Where is he going to serve on, on add, add they don't, out? Yeah. They don't want to hear that. Oh, they don't want okay. You know, we, they don't want to. At, the, at most, you'll get, he's going to serve on a big point at 67%. Mm -hmm. And he's 67% a big enough number to give yeah. your player yeah. at break point four yeah. all in the fifth. He's going to 67% yeah. <laughs> of the time. Right. Well, that's you know that's, that's analytics yeah you're yeah. playing percentages yeah, and numbers and risk and i've been on the side in the coaching box where i've given out the information and yeah. if it doesn't go well yeah. you're in the hot seat <laughs> yes we, for sure. we, we've had some yeah. davis cup experiences yeah. where suddenly we bring in analytics to the table yeah in a big way yeah and um it's worked for us but it it's, it, can, it, can, it can bite you as well right. when where, it's that 10 percent that comes through with the other big point and right? a lot of these they're doing reverse scouting. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because yeah. so like he's looking know, at his own tendencies. Players know yeah. that the scouting report says that I go there. Yeah. So I'm going to do the opposite of right. the scouting report. Right, right. So then it becomes this whole, he's, <laughs> I know that he said right, that right. he said that the report said this, so I'll go right, the other way. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, so reverse psychology. Yeah. Reverse psychology. Yeah. But, but the, the players are certainly, yeah. that have come out of college yeah. and, or exposed yeah. to the yeah. first yeah. for the first time yeah. super excited yeah. about yeah. the information yeah yeah and the, to get and there's you, um, you know to get a match tagged and then yeah. to get the detailed analysis yeah. that they've never had yeah. before yeah and, and even a reverse scouting report on themselves yeah they, they love they yeah. it's really for sure really great to, to sure. have yeah there's um a swing vision swing vision is, is really good it's, swing it's very, another one yeah it's, yeah it's affordable for juniors exactly i use it and like say i look at my sons and he uses lefty yeah it's like why aren't you serving 80 percent of your serves out wide on the ad yeah. side why are they in the middle yeah. you know that's just and it's like oh, oh i can show you the data yeah. not just me saying it yeah. but when you can look at this the, the serve spot then it makes sense yeah but then we we you know i know a lot of coaches that the analytics what the analytics doesn't chart is momentum right and the, the, you know that yeah. kind of shift and the real time yeah. Yeah. and they still go pen and paper yeah. with the chart and <laughs> right. look for tendencies yeah. and shifts yeah. and yeah. Yeah. so there's that side of it yeah. as well yeah. well um you did a podcast recently with kamal murray and one of the things you mentioned that i have a question about was you were talking about jack sock being such a good doubles player mm. one of the reasons was you know bracket head speed and how he can hit the forehand and you know so how does a kid develop racket head speed? Um, well, racket head speed. And what does it mean? Well, racket head speed is 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 pure exactly what it says. Racket head speed compared to how hard someone hitting a baseball, how fast can a, a guy pitch? Yeah. I think a lot of it's talent, yeah. DNA, mm -hmm. hand speed. Yeah. Um, I know Jack when he's younger, and you know I go back to the Hawkeye 
uh, data, they have what they call RPM, mm -hmm. you know, right. the spin rate on the yeah. ball. The yeah. ball was at, at yeah. its highest because yeah. of his yeah. racket and speed. is right there with him. Sokka is right there with him. So, yeah, remember the first time, tension of the racket. Yeah. So Sock, so what's he what's he string Socks under forty. Yeah. Like low thirty. Yeah. yeah. Loose loose yeah. lux long, which you, adds to just And being if you a, don't hit the racket with speed, that, that yeah, the ball's gonna the, fly. The ball's gonna fly. So yeah, yeah. you know there's a combination of Yeah. And maybe at a young age just that's just, practicing it and, and hitting and, it with no fear. And so how but I'm just how do you practice it? Is it just hand fed, just rapid rapid Yeah, fly? there's all ways you can you can do hand fed, you can do racket fed. Mm -hmm. uh, ball machine, but yeah. for, for there's certainly a component when you when you're really young. I, I like to teach uh, the young players that there's a component to teaching consistency and mm -hmm. mental discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, but go back to racket speed. You, you're not going to teach racket speed, racket head speed, mm -hmm. if that's all you focus on. Is right. you need to make twenty in a row. Yeah. So I would have a couple sessions where I feed twenty. I'm like as hard as you can. Yeah, I don't, don't care, care where, where it goes. goes. Right. And for them to, it's a little like being an artist. Yeah. In, in order to paint, paint. Yeah. Different colors and you make gotta, a mess. You got to get beyond your. You need to make a little bit. Yeah. You got to test your sphere. There's no right. way you know what. Right. You know, if you have a fast car right. and it can go to 220 and yeah. you never put it in fifth gear <laughs> and I ride in fourth right. gear, well, right. you never tested yeah. the fifth gear. Yeah. And that's with developing a big serve. Yeah. You know, there's target practice, but then there's yeah. hand speed, yeah. fast twitch practice. Right. Right. Becoming right. a sprinter. Yeah. If I'm a. 100 meter sprinter, I'm not just going to practice running a mile. I'm going to do the five yard out of the block dash. Yeah. And so it's it's that kind of mold yeah. with yeah. mentality, yeah. knowing what max effort is. Yeah. And the more you can do that, the easier maybe that yeah. motion becomes. Yeah. And that goes the same with go back to, you know, where the games go. He's, he's, he's practicing speciality shots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, and, everybody and, can hit 100 forehands. And, can you and, hit the drop shot? You know, can you hit that short angle? You know, warming up and just hitting a. Yeah. A lot of people might think you're screwing around, so right. to speak, but, right. but you, that's the only way you learn how to do right. it. Yeah, I remember watching uh, Ben Shelton last year of Cincinnati. Yeah. He was hitting one big forehand inside yeah. out, and then the next shot was that drop shot yeah. down the line. I used to love watching Roger Federal warm yeah. up because everyone thought he, you know, he's so casual, but if you really watch him carefully, Suddenly he drops back and he's hitting the ball high over the net to spin from mm -hmm. all the way back. And yeah. then he's taking a few half volleys. Yeah. Then he's doing some crazy, yeah. he's, he's, he's going through all his skills. Yeah. Then he does a crazy dropper. Yeah. And yeah. But he's, he's, you know, call it racketed skills. Yeah. And he's doing that every practice. But he's right. got, there's a discipline to For it. For sure. For sure. And it doesn't always have to be robotic right. and right. down the middle. Right. right. Because then you don't develop a skill set yeah. either. So right, I think right. there's a balance. Yeah, there's with a the base. Two. There's a base, yeah, and then you, you build off. You got to develop a skill. Yeah. I, I love seeing guy in some drop shots in practice. Yeah, you got to yeah. practice it For both sure. sides. Yeah. When I see a four inside, I'm like, "How's your back in drop shot?" <laughs> and then they can't hit. I'm like, right. well, "You better start hitting the other side as well." That's right. And then That's pick right. a favorite. That's right. Well, you hey, know? I know we got you got a match coming up here in a few minutes, yeah. so maybe we'll wrap up with a few rapid fire questions. Oh wow. Okay, so just some fun ones. What's the best thing about being a USTA national coach? Spending time with so many great tennis minds from around the world and the friendships that I've yeah, made. For sure. Yeah. Um, what's the biggest waste of time on a practice court? There's never any waste of time in a practice court, okay. whether it's conversations or. Okay. There may be like a wasted drill or maybe they're overdoing something or not something. Uh, mm. Never any waste of time in a okay. practice court. <laughs>
when you're in yeah. practice court, yeah. th there's never any waste of time. Okay, good. <laughs> and what, maybe what, what's the most neglected thing on a practice court? What, what should be worked on more? Maybe uh, we've talked about it, maybe. The serve. Serve? The serve, the to me, serve. Serve. Love, serve because the most productive time to practice serve is you need to be on your own. Yeah. With a box of balls, and a lot of times the availability of, of a court at mm -hmm. tournaments. Mm -hmm. It's the only shot that you have. So, okay. Like, a, yeah. like going, to the, uh, yeah. going to the driving range. Yeah, yeah. It's the only shot where you're By, in complete control. Control yeah. and most neglected practice, precision. And, and so and, so have targets. Have targets. You're not, or, you're not or just or out there. Power, whatever you're yeah. trying to work on. Right, right Maybe right. there's technique or that 100%. Okay. Um, a book and a movie documentary recommendation. Book, uh, A Handful of Summers. Okay, by, by Gordon, Gordon, Gordon Forbes. It's about tennis in the 60s. In where? Um, it's about the global okay. tennis, about oh, the world South Africa. He's South African, okay, it's yeah. about a, Okay. And they talk about when players went to Wimbledon, they had to take a ship. Yeah. Six weeks on the ship, training on the ship, <laughs> just to go play Wimbledon. Wow, that's it's a little a, different than it is a today. A great book, A <laughs> uh, Handful of Summers. Okay, good, and a movie or documentary? Movie or documentary, um, movie or documentary, a sports movie? Whatever you want. Uh, I love Seabiscuit. Okay. Was, <laughs> well, we're in Kentucky. Uh, so. We're in Kentucky. My friend Gary Ross, who was an avid tennis player, wrote it and directed it. Oh, wow. So I got to understand and feel what they were trying to do. But I do a lot of uh, analysis about Seabiscuit because once he has, he had that kind of competitive fire about being challenged. Awesome. Right. And yeah. once he had eye contact, yeah. and once he, you get yeah. to he, fire him he up, locked in. he locked in. There you go. Good. Um, advice to a young coach? Learn. learn. Spend time with more coaches. Ha learn. Spend more time with coaches. Listen to players. Ask questions. Yeah. And uh, sort of like an internship, you don't worry about the money. You got to, you got to develop. You got to put in your time. Yeah. Go to different levels of tournaments. Right. Not understand age uh, the more knowledge you can gather about boys men boys and girls mm -hmm. ages different tournaments yeah. tournament structures yeah. equipment this you cannot stop learning yeah between yeah. reading asking questions right, and right. listen to podcasts and 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 everything change everything innovates right yeah. so you can't be too set in your ways right. i mean right. um, 53 now I, I keep changing i keep <laughs> learning and keep asking questions yeah. trying to listen yeah absolutely yeah. and um advice to tennis parents uh same thing yeah. uh listen ask questions um you're always going to be part of your your kids journey mm -hmm. and development okay. so enjoy it yeah it's a journey not a sprint okay uh don't be reactive yeah. to everything okay yeah. And lastly, um, advice to, say, a 14-year-old tennis player who's maybe not a blue chip that's working hard on their way up. Have fun. Have fun. Yeah. Stay in the Enjoy game. Enjoy the process. Stay in the game. It's, it's, a, it's a long road. Yeah. Um, if anything, take it easy. Yeah. Stay healthy. Mm -hmm. Maybe play some other sports yeah. on the weekend. Yeah. yeah. And uh, things will happen. Right, well, good. And so you're in Lexington, and where, where will we be the next couple of months? Well, I spent the summer at a lot of these challenges, Bloomfield Hills mm -hmm. and Chicago, and and then uh, be going home after this for a little break before a long haul at the U.S. Open Qualies. Okay, I'll be there the weekend before. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, you'll see a lot, a lot of, of the same guys. Yeah, a lot of these players playing here will will maybe get opportunities to play there, and then uh, always enjoy the U.S. Open, sure. New York. Yeah. 
get to see all coaches from around the world and yeah. and and watch, which is you know. which is the which is your favorite slam? U.S. Open and by a long way. Okay, by long way. Okay, why is that? Well, the energy at the U.S. Open. I mean, it's you, different. You, you just yeah. cannot beat it. I mean, <laughs> the night sessions, the the, the crowds, and it's it's New York. And so. best non-slam. The best non-slam tournament as a coach in in your in your role. I used to love the LA Open, to be okay. honest. It was a tournament that's not there anymore. Right, right. Um, tucked at mm-hmm. UCLA. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wish that they could, you know, these 250s can, can come back. Yeah. The ones that were really supported by the communities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that one really stands out. I mean, we had great players playing. Sampras, Edberg, Safin, Chang, yeah. all playing, you know, the local 250 yeah. ATP event. Yeah. So, you know, in so the LA Open was great. Okay. Well, David, thanks so much for being on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, catch up with you soon. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate right. it. Thanks.